Hello, and welcome back to Mon Animism, a very convoluted guide. It's Mon Animist Monday, and I'm your podcast host, Sarah Jane. In the last episode, we looked at the first of two forms of animism, the social relations model, which is the most popular form of animism, in which we hold a familiarity with non-human species, which grants us empathy and paints similarities between the species. And remember the idea of Grandfather Rock, and we just give the different objects names that give us a sense of community feel towards them. Um, then we had the vitalist form of animism. So vitalism is the paganist form of animism because it promotes a sense of the supernatural. Moral vitalism tells us that disease and illness isn't formed by bacteria and pathogens, but instead is the work of malignant spirits. Whereas positive spirits would bring us beneficial results. So vitalism is the basis of metamorphosis, alchemy and sympathetic magic. One can be imbued with the vitalistic spirit and through this interaction one becomes greater or becomes transformed from what once was previously. Vitalism is the basis for a lot of mythological tales and fables. If you consider Frankenstein, who is imbued with electricity to become human, or Pinocchio, who is only human once he's imbued with a consciousness. Following on from these two first forms of animism, we have panpsychism, which is the Eastern reincarnation view of spirits. In the Eastern view, all objects have an equal weight and worth, just as human beings, because like humans, all objects have a consciousness. The Objects around us have consciousness that they're holding on to from the point they were alive, i.e. the consciousness is left remaining, held inside the spirit body. So belief in an immortal consciousness is paramount to this type of panpsychism. However, there's a variance on where this consciousness resides. In a scientific view of panpsychism, all objects have the ability to make decisions. But specifically, this decision-making might only happen on an atomic level, when the choices between two options can flick an internal switch to make certain things become a reality. In this form of animism, the entire world functions because all objects, microcosmic level, work together to make reality function. This is where the whole universe exists only because the entirety of reality is monitored and watched by all these inorganic materials and through their capacity to make decisions. The combination of choices occurring in all materials makes the universe function and this is promotes animism because there is an equality between all objects on the subconscious level. So this is the form of panpsychism in which consciousness is held within the objects. But there's a secondary 
version of panpsychism known as panspiritualism, in which all objects have an animistic quality because every object has a consciousness, except in this version the consciousness doesn't reside inside the object. Instead, all objects have access to a consciousness that resides outside the object in an energetic reality. All objects have a quality because they have consciousness, but the idea of an external consciousness brings us to a major animistic belief in the idea of a collective unconsciousness, whereby there's a universal consciousness, not specifically a godlike figure, but certainly an interconnection between all life, which was known historically as the One, the Logos. This is a unity with a capacity to radiate messages and information into component parts. Then we have a final form of animism, and this is the one upon which modern animism is primarily based, and its name is Hylozoism. If you look at all the forms of animism, Hylozoism, Panpsychism and Vitalism, they all have histories that go back at least 2,000 years, but Hylozoism is still the youngest of the three forms. Hylozoism is the anti-materialist approach to reality. It doesn't believe that all things um, are seen on a material level. Like Panspiritualism, it promotes the idea of unity between all matter. This unity isn't based upon the idea that all objects contain energy, Although all objects utilise consciousness or have de decision-making capacities. Hylos instead promotes the idea that all objects have a soul. And just like panpsychism, these souls can either receive information from a soul source, like from the solar logos, or alternatively, all objects connected into one superorganism and that there is only one soul across the entirety of the universe, something that we all have a capacity to connect into. So under Hylozoism, we begin to think of the planet or the solar system, the universe, being examples of a superorganism. So we only develop as humans into the roles that this superorganism has allocated to us. On the whole, most objects obey similar rules that gather all material and energetic matter. And so, through this function, all species and objects on the planet are equal. We all follow specific functions. Under the rules of hylozoism, this active force permeates all things. It creates all laws of nature. Each piece of nature exists as a microcosm representing the entirety of the universe, and under which there is an intimate relationship between structure and order. Matter creates life, therefore all life is made of this matter. To my mind this sort of denies the possibility of a divinity. If all matter is a reflection of life, where do we then see the God that we perceive of? Because he doesn't appear to have life, matter or energy in the same sense, so how can we see him as being a reflection of the microcosm? So instead of this idea, um, hylozoism suggests 
that most objects are in tune with this combined consciousness. But there are also other objects that fall against this collective consciousness and they developed a skill known as Samoviance. So this means that certain objects have the power to work against a united will soul. They can work independently. So there is a unity. That doesn't mean that everything is always tied to this unity and tied to this unity universally and completely. As I said before, hylozoism is the basis for new animism upon which this podcast is based. Whilst all the forms of animism believe that the organic and inorganic life forms equal to humans and that there is no delineation between the material and spiritual worlds, new animism doesn't look at all the individual components, spirits or pieces. Instead, it looks towards how we as humans can live better in the world. We need to live in a way that honours the spirits and the environment. Modern animism follows hylozoism because it promotes a universal soul or a superorganism. And it promotes the idea that all life is covered under one umbrella and that we should look to how we could be improving our relationship with this world soul, with this umbrella, rather than looking at all the component pieces. Now, whilst there are many different forms of new animism, it has far-reaching applications and it has applications to be used in environmentalism and philosophy um, towards anarchism. And specifically anarchism, that's where if you understand that we have quality with all the other species, then surely that means lots of our politics are wrong. And a lot of the structures we see in place in the world might have to be overhauled. So that's a very radical form of animism. So you'll understand the forms of animism. We're going to start digging down into these in the next couple of weeks. It's going to really look at how modern animism functions and how it's influenced our world to change things. And then, of course, once again, I'm going to look at the morality and the ideas, you know, the ideas of Guyanism and things like that, that actually surround modern animism. So I'm hoping that you'll come and join me for that in the next couple of sessions. And I thank you for listening this evening.